1: To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Yesterday's episode of the show and today's episode of the show are intended to specifically be listened to in chronological order because it's important that you listen to the conversation I had with nyup.com and Syracuse.com's Matt Perino, one half. Of the Shout Buffalo po- Football Podcast, before you listen to this one to get some much needed context. We talked with Matt Perino specifically about the way that he approaches observing spring practices. Now that spring practices are over and there's narratives that have begun forming, and we talked about kind of how that goes about happening, the next most rational question is okay, what narratives are salient to us? as we go into the summer, what are we looking for when camp opens? Because by the end of camp, a lot of these questions will be answered. Some of them will not, because some of the answers we're not gonna be able to obtain. However, there are going to be scenarios where these questions will be on our mind when we walk in the doors of the first training camp, metaphorically speaking, because we're not actually going there. But also, when training camp is over, there'll be a whole new set of narratives. And these things go day by day by day. So I brought in somebody who I have a lot of respect for. And I wanted to kind of pick his brain and kind of line his narratives up with my narratives. What are we looking at? Where are our eyes? That's where, that's what we're talking about today. Where are our, our eyes right now? What are we looking at? What are we paying attention to? What matters to us? And in order to have this discussion, I brought in, David Tilton, Tilt Money, one half of the Air Raid Hour on the Buffalo Fanatics live YouTube and podcast network. Dave, what's going on, dude?
0: What's up, Bruce? Thanks for having me, man. I mean, you know, You know, me and Steve, we get deep into this camp stuff, so this is a great topic for me to come in on, and I appreciate you having me. It's going to be fun.
1: I knew that I needed somebody who could have this discussion with me and think about a different five topics than I was going to think about. So I gave you, and I said, okay, bring with me five narratives you're looking at, and then I'll bring up five. And you sent me yours, and I went, thank God, none of his five are my five. And that's exactly, exactly what I was going for. I wanted to make sure that your five were different than my five. And when I read through your five, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a good one. I could go with that. I wish I would have thought of that. And that's exactly what I achieved. So we're going to dive right into it. When Training camp opens for the Buffalo Bills in 2021. What is the first thing that you're going to be watching for and matters to you? Not necessarily as far as the most important thing, but what's the first thing you're going to be looking for?
0: Yeah. So the order I sent you these in is obviously, you know, that was kind of random. So I'll go with the one that I think is the first thing that I'm going to be looking for. And the first thing I'm going to be looking for is where the rookies on both sides of the line—this is the defensive line and offensive line—are lining up. And now I know last year it was limited; we couldn't, we couldn't, you know, know necessarily where guys were lining up, whether they were taking first team, second team reps. What, what was going on, right? So I'm going to be really interested to see this year, especially with the first two picks we made in the draft and Rousseau and Basham. These guys were. Guys that were touted as length guys, guys that were touted as guys that could flex inside if need be, right? Play interior rush, play on the edge. Where are these guys, Rousseau and Basham, going to be lining up during camp? Are they going to be lining up strictly on the edge? Are they going to be lining up at all inside, uh, you know, in certain situations? And we've heard so much about how, oh, Carlos Basham might be the more pro ready guy, but I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm I'm, here to tell you, I don't think we can make that conclusion yet until we see what happens in camp with Rousseau. So I'm going to be very interested to see where those guys line up, where in the pecking order they are. And honestly, I, I want to see how that translates into them potentially playing earlier in the season than maybe we saw the, the likes of A- N- AJ Epinesa last year. So that's on the defensive line. And then the offensive line is very interesting, right, because the whole – I shouldn't say the whole, but a majority of the off season, we spent saying like, look, we need to shore up this interior. Um, the guard play next to Mitch Morse wasn't exactly what we were hoping for. I know there was a lot of mixing and matching due to injury. And then the Bills went out in the draft and they drafted two tackles sort of semi early. So people were like, OK, well, does that make sense? And then kind of the more you thought about it, you know, the more I thought about it I was like, well, yeah, it does make sense because. You know Spencer Brown, let's say you know, if something were to happen to Deion Dawkins or daryl williams you you need insurance for your franchise quarterback and someone to protect them. so for me, number one on the o line is Spencer Brown, where is he going to be lining up during camp is he gonna is he going push a guy like Daryl Williams? I don't think he will necessarily for a starting job, but is he going to entrench himself maybe as that backup right tackle? or is he going to entrench himself as the as the swing tackle and will he get reps at both left tackle and right tackle if you read into it in between well not even in between the lines you read exactly what Brandon Bean said in the Bills embedded video he said we expect Spencer Brown to be our backup swing tackle in year 1 so i'm going to be curious to see where his reps are going on the left side and the right side and then i'm going to see if Tommy Doyle can make any noise in camp you know he was uh, another one of those like high um, you know, high athletic tested guys uh, coming out, the high RAS score. We talked about that at nauseum. It seemed like leading up to the draft. So how quickly is he going to come along? Where does he fit into the mix at tackle? And so those four guys really in the, you know, discounting Jack Anderson here a little bit, but really those four guys Rousseau, Basham on the defensive side. And then Brown Doyle on the offensive side, where are they lining up and, and where are those reps coming from?
1: When I listened to Matt Perino talk and he said, you know, listen, I can't tell you where they're lining up as far as first team, second team, tackle guard. Some of the things that you can do, though, are you can kind of sleuth out the answers by reading between the lines. And that's specifically something that beat reporters are allowed to talk to. And that's they're allowed to speak to matchups. So if you see Jerry Hughes versus Tommy Doyle, then Tommy Doyle was playing tackle at the time, right? Unless they specifically state that there was some sort of stunt move, you can kind of infer some things. And that's pretty much what you have to do. You have to infer from matchups. So as you are reading camp observations, my suggestion to you, the listener, based on what it is that I discussed with Matt Perino yesterday is pay very close attention to the matchups. Because you can infer things from that, that they may not necessarily be allowed to tell you as far as first team, second team, positional things, things like that. I think if you see, you know, Emmanuel Sanders or Gabriel Davis against Dane Jackson, then maybe he's getting CB2 reps. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but over a long enough period of time, you can start to collect statistically significant data that will allow your inferences to be a little bit stronger. So, and I think that when you look at what Dave just talked about, when you look at Tommy Doyle, when you look at Brown, when you look at backup tackles, you go, okay, who's getting, are they getting the swing tackle reps? You should be able to see that based upon the players they're going against. So that is my little plug for something that will help you out as you are attempting to infer some information, knowing full well that the Buffalo Bills media guidelines are a little bit strict. So that'll help. So my first thing that I want to see when I get to camp is not necessarily the most important thing, but one that I think is interesting because of how significant of a departure it is from recent years, and it's Mitch Trubisky. So I banged the table for the last couple of years that the Bills' backup quarterback situation was not good enough and that if the Bills are in, a window where they think they can make some noise in the playoffs that ultimately we understand that the gap between Josh Allen and Matt Barkley is significant, but it's not that gap I'm concerned about. It's the gap between Matt Barkley and another available backup quarterback. That is the problem. And that was mixed with uh, a fair amount of skepticism on my part. And that take was responded to by the greater bills, mafia, with some consternation and some applause. Some people liked that and said, yes, we need to upgrade backup quarterback. Other people said, no, Barkley's fine. Well, it doesn't really matter what we thought because they rolled out Matt Barkley again last year. But this year, they didn't. This year, they went with Mitch Trubisky, who has a lot of experience starting his first couple of years in the league in Chicago. And while he would never be considered to be a world beater, I do feel markedly better with him backing up Josh Allen than Matt Barkley. So, I think Mitch Trubisky is somebody that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, just because it's so different. It's such a departure from what you're used to seeing from this regime. Um, there was a, a time when the Bills quarterback room was rookie Josh Allen, Matt Barkley, and Derek Anderson. That was not a good quarterback room. And then Josh Allen got better, and that obviously pulled the, you know, the arithmetic mean up of that group. But there was still a significant gap, not just between Allen and Barkley, but between Barkley and the available backup quarterbacks in the market. I was really excited when they signed Mitch Trubisky, not because I think Mitch Trubisky is a great player, because I think he's better than Matt Barkley. And I have no interest in the entire season going down the tubes if Josh Allen misses three or four games in the middle of the season. That could potentially be the difference between the number two seed and not making the playoffs. So for me, that's a big deal. And that's, that's that's my biggest thing. Dave, do you have any thoughts on Trubisky before we move on?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was much needed, right? I mean, and the fact of the matter is, they like, sign him at two point five million. Uh, it it seems like a bargain to me because, like you said, if something were to happen to Josh Allen, what would your confidence level have been that Matt Barkley could even just win a game for you in Josh Allen's absence? Probably not that high. Now he may have been able to just because the team around him is fairly good but Mitch Trubisky is a guy who's had a ton of starting experience he's made a pro Bowl. take that for what it's worth and he's a significant upgrade over Matt Barkley at the backup quarterback position and a guy that can come in and you feel you still feel at least I do a level of confidence that if Josh were to miss you know a couple games during the regular season Matt Barkley is not going to or I'm sorry Mitch Trubisky is not going to essentially be the derailer of your entire season, whether or not, you know, it's a seed that you're going for, or whether or not it's even that you make the playoffs. So I, I'm I am totally with you. I think that um an upgrade was needed and I think for the price that we paid, um, it's a bargain, honestly.
1: So we've each been through one. Let's move on to the second one. Give me another thing that you're looking at, why you're looking at it and why you feel like it's so important.
0: All right. So I'll segue kind of off of what off of yours with the backup quarterback and i'll continue on quarterback and talk about the chemistry um between josh allen and newly minted newly signed veteran emmanuel sanders and i say that because john brown we know is you know he's gone he was a favorite of many and had the respect of you know the bills media had the respect of his teammates and like John Brown was a fine player and there was no one that really had anything bad to say about him. But now you bring in Emmanuel Sanders and the reports, at least from from OTAs and minicamp, was that the chemistry between Sanders and Josh Allen maybe was was wasn't quite there yet. Now, we all know about how Diggs and Allen kind of met met up last year and kind of worked together for a little bit. And those photos kind of went viral and those videos kind of went viral. I am going to be watching this not because I'm worried because I'm not I'm going to be watching how the chemistry develops because Sanders is a vet he's played with multiple quarterbacks in his career on multiple teams he's going to figure it out Josh is going to figure it out with him and if Sanders comes can come in and give you what John Brown was able to give you plus more as a route runner maybe with some toughness maybe with some more um, versatility in his route running um, to me that's that's something that's going to be really big for the Bills this year because it not only you know, is good for Sanders and Allen, it's also going to take pressure off of guys like Diggs and Gabe Davis going into his second year and things like that. So the chemistry between Sanders and Allen is something I'm also going to be paying attention to during camp. Quarterback wide receiver chemistry is such a strange and fickle thing. Yep, You see
1: scenarios where there's instant chemistry like there was with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. I made the comment on social media – Earlier in the 2020 season where I said, you know, if you look at Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen and the chemistry that they clearly have together, and then you look at someone like Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham, who seem to still be trying to get it right going into year three of their marriage together, you think to yourself, I don't think there's really a rhyme or reason to it. I think much like, you know, platonic or romantic chemistry, sometimes people just have it and sometimes they just don't. Now, I do think that there are certain traits that allow you to accumulate that better. I think there's a level of human empathy involved that allows you to connect with other individuals. I think that's part of a leadership trait. And I would say that Josh Allen has it. But I do think chemistry is a funny thing because everyone talks about it when it comes to quarterbacks and wide receivers. Uh, you know, we got chemistry. We got to know where each other's at. You got to, you know, get used to where this person's going to be. They use these, you know, huge, you know, platitudes When they talk like, oh, man, you know, we can finish each other's sentences or (laughs) or I know where he's going to be. And we don't have to talk. I can just give him a look. You know, Peyton Manning always used to talk about the chemistry that he would have with Marvin Harrison or Reggie Wayne and things like that. And I always think it's really funny that sometimes it just naturally happens the way it appears that it happened right out of the gate with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. And then other times it just never seems to get there. So it's going to be fun to see something as important as a wide receiver in a wide receiver-centric offense and how that happens mixing with Josh Allen and Emmanuel Sanders. So my second thing that I want to see is running backs three and four. I want to see Tywan Jones, Antonio Williams, Matt Breida. One of the things I thought was really interesting about the Bills' running game narrative this offseason was that There was pretty clearly, and it's been established, a departure in style for the Buffalo Bills running game in 2020. They started running a lot more zone and a lot less gap in power. And there was a discussion as to whether or not they should go back to man and gap schemes that were more significant in 2021. But the only significant addition to the running back room was Matt Breida this offseason. And you could make an argument he wasn't significant at all. But he did his best work in an outside zone scheme with Kyle Shanahan in in San Francisco. And when he got to Miami, I always thought that was kind of a weird fit. I was like, well, Chan Gailey wants to spread you horizontally and run power. That's what Chan Gailey does. That's always been what Chan Gailey does. So I always thought it was weird that Brita went there. And now I think it's kind of weird he came here. Because I was kind of under the impression that the Bills would kind of go back to a little bit more of the gap power schemes that we saw from them in 2019. But then they sign a runner who's traditionally better in zone. And so I'm like, I'm just fascinating to see what they do. You add to that the fact that Tywan Jones is one of the best gunners in the league, and Matt Breida could potentially be a quick kicker turn option for the Buffalo Bills. You throw all this... In a hodgepodge with the fact that Antonio Williams made a little bit of a a splash for himself against the Miami Dolphins in the last game of the regular season in 2020. And I think you have a shockingly intriguing group of individuals at the bottom of the running back roster. Not that any of them are going to make a significant impact on Sundays, but it's more interesting than it historically is. Now, there's going to be someone out there who is listening to this right now who is going to say, what about Christian wade and i will say okay cool i mean I, let's see how he came along that's that's the extent of my that's the extent of my discussion about christian wade until i actually know he can actually physically play the game of football and like you know run play plays as a running back and you know block and know which hole to go to and dude just started playing football 2 years ago surrounded by people who have been playing it since they were 5 so when that time comes for me to have a Christian Wade take, I'll have a Christian Wade take. Until then, I'm just going to operate on the assumption that he's at the very bottom of the roster behind Taiwan Jones, Antonio Williams, and Matt Brea. That could change, but until it does, I'm not going to address it. Dave, do you have thoughts on the bottom of this running back room and the bottom of this running back rotation? And Is it as interesting as I think it is, or am I just overthinking this?
0: No, it's interesting because... Well, on Antonio Williams, he played in my backyard uh, in college. He went to UNC. I'm, I'm right in the middle of that. I'm an NC State guy, as people know who listen to me. And he won Special Teams Player of the Year his last year at UNC, which I thought was very interesting. So for me, this fourth running back, and even the third running back, but more so the fourth running back, whether it was been Pirine or Tywan Jones, it's always been kind of that special teamer, that gunner. Um, although Tywan Jones does have kick return experience, that's not probably the guy you want back there. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see if a guy like Antonio Williams, who does maybe offer you more as a true running back, uh, than a Tywan Jones at this point can prove his, prove his worth maybe on special teams and potentially snag that, you know, fourth running back spot, presuming that Brita is kind of there as the third running back. Now, again, we're, you know we're making that assumption that he's the third running back which we we really that's all we can do right now because he's the newcomer right so you're right about the fit being interesting now it does seem to lend itself that we're going to kind of keep schematically the same maybe what we did last year um but one thing that we did have lacking in you know in my opinion and many others in the running back room was that sort of speed and that home run threat that Brita really had shown when he was with Shanahan in San Francisco, when he was healthy and on the field. And, um, you know, there's a lot of metrics and plays that went into that. And there was, you know, stats about how he had the fastest run and all these different things, but that was an element we needed to add to the room. And, I, and I'm intrigued by that. Um, and if the bills do decide to keep the scheme the same, then maybe, then maybe, then that's a good fit for Matt Brita. As far as Taiwan Jones and Antonio Williams, um, I think they're maybe battling for the very last running back spot, and it's really going to come down to me whether Antonio Williams can play special teams because we know that you know it's not a guarantee, but we know that in McDermott's tenure here, he's always kind of kept that special teamer as the last guy on the on the roster. So, going to be interesting. Um, it's definitely more exciting, I would say, than last year when we had the likes of TJ Yeldon kind of in the mix, although he's not a bad player, but. I think, I think you're right. I think it is a little bit more intriguing this year than it was in years past.
1: The thing I think is interesting about this discussion with the running backs, and this can really trickle into the rest of the roster, is that, as you mentioned, historically, Sean McDermott likes to keep people who are really designated special teams players. You know, we think of Tyler Matikavich, you think of Taiwan Jones when he's been on this team before. You think about players who really are special teamers and their actual position is a deep, deep, deep priority as far as the, uh, the importance of their position. If Taiwan Jones is playing meaningful stats at running back, something has gone horribly wrong. Yes. You know, If Tyler Matakiewicz is playing any linebacker, something has gone really horribly wrong. I do wonder, as this team becomes more talented, as this team becomes deeper, I do wonder if that's going to put pressure on that concept. It was easy to do before because you were picking between a special teams player and a player who wasn't necessarily effective at their named yes. position. But as the talent on this roster becomes more significant, then all of a sudden it kind of puts pressure on that narrative. It puts pressure on the, how big of a gap in positional skill are you willing to sacrifice to get special team skill? And I do think that's fascinating. I do think it's one of the things that we're going to be watching for in the coming years from Sean McDermott. You kind of find out, let's test that theory, right? Let's test to see how strong your resolve is on that and I think that'll be fascinating all right Dave hit me with your next one what's number three man
0: well segue again since you mentioned Matt Breida I'm gonna be looking at that kick return and punt return competition in camp um I am an Andre Roberts fan I was an Andre Roberts fan when he was here I was in the camp of I thought he was valuable to the team I hated to see him leave um, there are others who maybe thought he wasn't as good as maybe you know many made him out to be. I disagree, but hey, that's me and now we're in a situation where what do we do? and it's not so easy for the people who were like, well Andre Roberts is wasting a receiver spot last year, but guess what he did both kick and punt returns for you and that was that was utilized by one roster spot. This year you have guys like Mark Marquez Stevenson as a rookie who has done predominantly only kick returns in college. Now he's a very good returner, but never really did punt returns in college. Now I did I know he did some in minicamp, but again, is McDermott gonna trust the guy like that back there? McKenzie, Isaiah McKenzie has had experience in the league mainly as a punt returner. He's done some kick returning. Again, like is he going to do both? Is he going to do one or the other? And then you add in some, other, some of these other like wild cards, I call them, or really unlikely um, you know, contenders in the mix, and that's a guy like Matt Breida, who's only had five career kick returns in his NFL career, and that was all in 2017. Uh, Taiwan Jones has had some experience returning kicks, but again, like you said, with running back, if Tywan Jones is toting the rock, you might have, you, you probably have some issues. If Tywan Jones is your kick returner you can make the case that you have some issues if he's your kick returner. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see, one, are they going to have sort of one designated guy do both? Are they going to have two guys, one do either or? And if that's the case, then you're talking about having, you know, potentially an extra roster spot that you have to use just to get a guy that can return kicks on your, you know, on your 53 or just to get a guy that can return punts on your 53 and it's really going to be fascinating to me because we know how much Sean McDermott values each and every last roster spot. And we know how important special teams as is, is to him. So is it going to be a situation where he says, look, I value this enough that we're going to have to keep two guys, one to do each, or are we going to f- try to find a middle ground here where, you know, maybe Isaiah McKenzie, maybe it's Isaiah McKenzie who comes out and says, look, I, you know, shows in camp, I can do both. And he, and he, shows that he's got, you know, ball security is good and and all those things that kind of have been brought into question about him in the past. Or will a rookie like Marquez Stevenson really pop as a punt returner? Because we know he has experience returning kicks. But again, he's a rookie and will McDermott trust him? So this is super fascinating, especially when you put in the context of Andre Roberts' departure. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with this in camp.
1: If you were someone who thought that the usage of Andre Roberts was an inefficient use of a roster spot, I've got news for you using two spots on returners is worse. So I'm definitely in the camp that I would have loved to have seen the bills bring back Andre Roberts. I almost look at this and go, if you want somebody who can do both punt and kick return, who has a statistically significant amount of experience doing both, You almost need to keep Powell on your roster, who is someone we're basically not talking about at all. But he's really your only option if you want someone who has done both at least a little bit. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but is there anybody else on this roster right now who has statistically significant experience doing both? Not significant. No, not significant. I mean, like you said, Breed has got five kick returns. Yep. And... I mean, yes, Mark you know, Marcus Stevenson obviously has experience in returning kicks, but not punts. So it's right. gonna be it's gonna be even more inefficient than you were potentially complaining that it may have been last year by using one spot on two returns. I've never thought that using one roster spot for a kick and punt returner is a bad use of a roster spot. Yep. But apparently a bunch of other people
0: disagreed because they McK- didn't contribute on offense. Mackenzie might be the only one, right? In his career, he has thirty nine career punt returns in twenty 20- career kick returns but since 20 since 2019 basically the last two seasons he only has five total kick returns so yeah. he'd be the guy you'd point to and say if you want to say experience yes but like does that really get your juices flowing for me it yeah does.
1: i guess i guess the question is do you feel te- do you feel like 20 kick returns in how many years uh, sam mckenzie this is his uh th- fourth year in the league
0: this will be his fifth coming up he's so played his four- fifth
1: year in the league um you know, is 20 kick returns in, you know, four years so far. He's coming up on his fifth year. Is that statistically significant kick return? I pro- I probably wouldn't say it is, but I, it's – But
0: that's the – that's what we're looking at, right? So uh, like yeah what we're trying to make is, like, that's not that significant.
1: So. No, it's – and, and, this, and this is where I want us to remember these discussions. The next time we have someone like Andre Roberts on the roster, let's not whine about it. Let's just be happy. That we have one person who is going to properly secure the punt and the kick and is going to give us better than average, in this case very good, production from the kick and punt return position. And let's just be cool with that. And let's not whine over one roster spot for both because the alternative is, is this. Unless you want a punt catcher back there. Unless you want Chris Watson back there. Which Micah Hyde is basically just Chris Watson who also plays safety at this yep. point because he just catches the punt. So my third thing is a little bit weird. But we're going to talk about it anyway. And it's Reggie Gilliam. And I'll tell you why I am interested in talking about Reggie Gilliam. I think Gilliam is the key to whether or not the Bills keep 10 defensive linemen or seven wide receivers. So one of the discussions going into camp is about numbers at the wide receiver and numbers at the defensive line position. One of the things that you and I were talking about on social media not too long ago is, okay, I like FIO by 2 who you got? And historically, Sean McDermott has not kept 10 defensive linemen. Yep. If there's a way to do it, I think it's Reggie Gilliam. And, and hear me out on this. If you can get Jacob Hollister to be the H-back, Reggie Gilliam becomes redundant, which means you no longer have to keep three tight ends and a fullback or four tight ends. You can keep three tight ends, which frees up a spot, for you to either keep a seventh wide receiver or a 10th defensive lineman yep if you were going to ask me who are you cutting to make room for fa obada as the 10th defensive lineman or daryl johnson as the 10th defensive lineman, let's not forget that fa obada plays special teams too but mm-hmm. we always talk about daryl johnson and keeping him on the roster doing his special teams contributions but fa obada plays special teams too so for me I don't think you necessarily have to look within that position group. You can look for redundancies in different skill sets and positions across the roster to make that happen. And I think Reggie Gilliam is one of them. So for example, if I hear something about Jacob Hollister out of the backfield, for example, which I think that's a phrase they're allowed to use out of the backfield. So if I hear something about Jacob Hollister out of the backfield, my ears are going to perk up and go, if you can use Jacob Hollister as an H-back, you don't need to keep Reggie Gilliam. And if you don't need to keep Reggie Gilliam, you could potentially keep three tight ends if Tommy Sweeney is okay. You can, t- you can keep Jacob Hollister, Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, and now you no longer have to keep a fullback because you'll use Hollister for that as TE2 slash H-back, which then frees up a roster spot that you would otherwise use to keep a seventh wide receiver or a tenth defensive lineman. So I know that's a roundabout way of saying it, but I think as we look at these places where we wonder if Sean McDermott will break the mold numerically. Will he keep seventh wide, seven wide receivers? Will he keep 10 defensive linemen? Historically, he hasn't. But also historically, he's done other things like kept a fullback or kept an H-back or kept something that can utilize that backfield sort of style blocking. And if they don't have to keep that as a separate distinct position and can keep it as tight end too then there's your free spot right there. So that's something I'm going to be interested in. Now, I don't know if there's other places on the roster that can be cut or finessed to be able to get in a seventh wide receiver or a 10th defensive lineman. I mean, we're already usually keeping two quarterbacks, so that's not a spot, right? You could potentially go with three running backs, but I know they don't like doing that. So, Am I missing a spot, well, Dave? Is there a spot out well, there? Well, they did
0: keep three quarterbacks last year, even though they kept Fromm away from the team. So they did three yeah. on the roster, but I'm with you on the quarterback situation. If they only wanted to keep Allen and Trubisky as the active quarterbacks and keep a guy like Davis Webb on the practice squad or whatever the hell happens with Jake Fromm, I would be all for that. I also think that we talked about, you You made a great point around as the team gets better, will they st- shy away maybe from some of these guys who aren't as good in their position that just play special teams. And and maybe it's like, maybe it's linebacker, right? They've always kept six, but they've also, that number's also dwindled throughout seasons as seasons have like worn on. They've had less than six on the roster. So a guy like Andre Smith or a guy like, um, you know, Tyrell Adams, who maybe we'd be gunning for that second special teams roster spot at linebacker behind Matakavich. Maybe a guy like that could be expendable uh, as well, but again, you know you can't cut, you can't get rid of all the special teams guys because you need them, but that would be a, that would be a position group that maybe I'd be looking at as like could you slice some fat from that one potentially?
1: It's going to be fun. it's going to be real fun because you know, I, you know you mentioned quarterback, you know we know that their default is they want to keep two right because that's what they did until they needed a COVID quarterback. That opens up a whole new question. Do they still feel like they need a COVID quarterback this year,
0: right? Exactly.
1: And that'll be fa- That'll be fascinating because you can make an argument that if they didn't feel like they needed a COVID quarterback, they, they would have just defaulted to two again. Now, this is the Allen and Peterman yep. show and the Allen and Barkley show. And now we go all of a sudden you need a COVID quarterback. But if you didn't need a COVID quarterback anymore, do they just default to two again? Because we know they don't want to keep three. We know they don't like doing that. They did it as a contingency and you know they don't like doing that. So is this a scenario where we don't we no longer feel like we need a COVID quarterback? Are we afraid of getting caught with our pants down like the Denver Broncos did, where you have Kendall Hinton coming in on a couple days' notice to be able to play you know, quarterback as a wide receiver? Side note, all the reports are out of Denver that Kendall Hinton is actually having a really good camp as a wide receiver, might end up making the team. So that would be a fun story in Denver. But we are going to take a quick break right now. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We are going to go through the other things that Dave Tilton and I – are watching for when training camp comes around for the 2021 Buffalo Bills. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Mr. David Tilton and I, David Tilton of Buffalo Fanatics and the Air Raid Hour fame, are here talking about the things that we are watching for when it comes time to roll around to Buffalo Bills training camp. We've talked quarterbacks, we've talked running backs, we've talked defensive linemen. Dave, hit me with your fourth thing that you are looking for when the Bills come around and open camp in 2021.
0: Yeah, and this is one that I think a lot of people are going to be looking for because one of these players has, you know, I I wouldn't say it's a target on his back, but he's going to be under the microscope during this training camp and that's cody ford so i'm going to be really interested to see how that left guard battle presuming that it's a left guard battle between cody ford and Forrest lamp and maybe we shouldn't be discounting ike bucker uh as much as we are i know he played pretty well in spot duty uh last year but the left guard battle to me is something i'm really gonna be interested in seeing i would have to if i if i was going to bet right now bet some money on it I would have to say that it's likely going to be John Feliciano opening the season at right guard. I don't know how much competition he's going to have for that uh, spot. Um, You know, they're kind of paying him, I guess you could say, starter's money to be a right guard, um, to be their right guard. And I think that that battle at left guard is really that one major open question we have on this offensive line. As far as, you know, you can question Mitch Morris and whether, like, I'm not going to get into that right now, but as far as the starting line, I think most people would agree that you're looking at, you know, Deion Dawkins at left tackle, Morris at center, Feliciano at right guard, Dale Williams at right tackle, but who is the left guard going to be? Is Ford going to finally break through and show that he can be that sort of road grading type player, that guy with an attitude that, you know, he was known for coming out of school, but hasn't really shown it much in the pros or is it going to be a veteran like Forrest Lamp, who played 16 games for the Chargers last year um, and was you know, a pretty good prospect in his own right before some major injuries derailed uh, his career before he finally bounced back and played a full season last year? Now, what I will say about this, the Chargers didn't have a great offensive line last year and let Forrest Lamp walk pretty much for nothing. So it makes me question a little bit, like, what? you know how good is he really maybe it's just a change of scenery will do better for him but for me like my heart really wants to see Cody Ford go after that job and win that job convincingly and I really want to see that starting line with Williams for um, Dawkins Ford Morse uh, Feliciano and Williams have a shot to start this season and Cody Ford to me he's 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 in the he's in the crosshairs for me. He's going to be one of the number one things I'm watching in camp.
1: The one of the things that's fascinating to me is I really think that if Cody Ford does not roll out barring injury, if he does not roll out week one as a starting left guard, I think it's a really significant disappointment. Agreed. Because, you know, when Brandon Brandon Bean openly said, I, I expect Cody Ford to be one of the starters. And so when you bring in Forrest Lamp and you say, Okay, you know, we want to make sure we have depth there and everything, but it's pretty clear if you're a second round pick and you're not starting. If he gets beat out, that's, you know, if he gets beat out, which starts with a B, I think we can start having the discussion about the other B, which is the Cody Ford being a must. And mm-hmm. I think that it's fair at this point, given the fact that he's at his, what I would consider to be his more natural position. I, You know, Dave, you know very well that I fought the whole Cody Ford as a guard battle for a very, very long time. Yes, and yes he did. Now I get to see Cody Ford at guard because I, I think he's always been a left guard. I think he always should have been a left guard. So now with him there, assuming his health is reasonable, I think that I don't want to I don't want to say it's put up or shut up time for Cody Ford. I don't want to go that far. It's too strong of a terminology because you know, players can recapture their form later in, in their careers and they can have perfectly reasonable careers without them necessarily winning a starting battle during their rookie contract. People get better especially given how much Cody Ford has bounced around. However, I think it's pretty clear that if he doesn't start the first week of the season at what we assume to be left guard, that's probably a disappointment. So I'm looking for Cody Ford as well. I didn't put him on this list because I knew that you would probably put him on yours. And a lot of people are going to put him on theirs. For me, the second year player that I want to talk about is Isaiah Hodgins. I want to talk about Isaiah Hodgins. There was a big discussion this spring about Isaiah Hodgins and how he looked good. And the thing that immediately came to mind for me was Des Lewis. Now, I made a comment about this on Twitter today, and I had a conversation with a couple of Bills fans about it. And everyone gets really, really upset when you talk about comparisons to players that didn't necessarily work out. But we need to understand what Des Lewis was. Des Lewis was a late round pick who had physical traits and he really struggled getting off press coverage. One of the most significant knocks coming out of Isaiah Hodgins coming out of college was, could he get off press or was he slot only player? And if he's a slot only player, that's fine. That's completely okay. He becomes a specialized player. He becomes a big slot player like Allah David Nelson is someone that I have specifically compared him to multiple times over great hands. All that stuff is fantastic. No one's taking any waste stuff away from that. But you have to be able to beat press. The second pads came on for Des Lewis in 2016, he disappeared, even though he was good in the spring, just completely disappeared. At that time, that third wide receiver job behind Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods was wide open. And it was, everyone was like, okay, it's going to be Des Lewis. We're totally going to do it. And just fell completely off the face of the planet. And so for me, this is an opportunity for Isaiah Hodgins now that the shoulder injury is ostensibly probably pretty better and you have scenarios where you're going to be facing contact can he get off press and if he can I think that puts more pressure on the idea that maybe you would want to keep seven receivers unless Marquez Stevenson doesn't make this team in which case then you're putting pressure on the idea that Sean McDermott likes to keep draft picks so all of these things are coming into conflict here the numbers the draft picks the, I want to keep two quarterbacks, the, I'm, I might want to keep 10 defensive linemen. How, something has to give. And Isaiah Hodgins is one of those pieces, just like Reggie Gilliam, where he can send a, a cascade, a domino effect through the remainder of the roster by how he plays. Because with Des Lewis, second pads went off, he faded. Hodgins coming out of college, that was the discussion. Can he beat press coverage, or is he slot-only player? So that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at. I'm really excited. I like Isaiah Hodgins. I had a higher grade. It's been well-established at this point. I had a slightly higher grade on Isaiah Hodgins coming out than I did on Gabriel Davis. So I clearly thought highly of him. I thought exactly what I said. I thought he was a David Nelson-style big slot player who could use as kind of a Y player in an offensive scheme and really get some positive matchups against... Smaller nickel defenders. So for me, I was all about it. So, what are your thoughts on Isaiah Hodgins? Do you think I'm, do you think I'm crazy? Do you remember the Des Lewis thing? I don't know how. I don't know if you were a Des Lewis stan or not, Dave. Where do you fall on this?
0: I was neutral on Des Lewis, but I will say this about Hodgins. Um, if you go back and, I mean, Steve and I obviously, you know, we're big into the draft. We're big draft guys. We said something very similar once the draft was over before camp last year. We were like, wow, we really like Isaiah Hodgins, and we might like him more than Gabriel Davis, even though he was drafted below Gabriel Davis. And he never really got the chance to show what he could do because of the injury. Now, you mentioned the numbers game, and this is the thing that I've been racking my brain and having conversations with. Honestly, most of my conversations with people online about the roster recently haven't really necessarily even been about, like, you know Josh Allen and what's he doing? And like I'm like I'm not too worried about that. It's more like okay, well, is Mark, are Marquez Stevenson, Isaiah McKenzie, and Isaiah Hodgins fighting for? Are those three guys fighting for two roster spots? If the Bills only keep six receivers, what are, what could the Bills do to keep seven? Well, we want to keep ten defensive linemen, like you said. Like well, then where is that going to come? Like so, it kind of ties into the kick return and punt return battle as well. You mentioned Reggie Gilliam but I also think there's a cascade effect around what happens in the kick return and punt return competition that could have an effect on whether or not Isaiah Hodgins makes the team as well. Let's just say Marquez Marquez Stevenson flops and they decide that Isaiah McKenzie is going to be the kick return and punt punt returner, then there's a pretty decent chance that maybe Isaiah Hodgins will make the team. If Marquez Stevenson's a stud in camp and shows that he can do kick and punt returns and shows a little bit of receiver, (coughs) Are they then deciding maybe between Isaiah McKenzie and Isaiah Hodgins making the team, even though the team really loves Isaiah McKenzie? So th- that t- that ties into it as well. I think the kick and punt return battle. So this whole idea of seven wide receivers is great, and this whole idea of ten defensive linemen is great. But we have to remember at the end of the day, it's fifty-three, and where is it going to come from? Hodgins is a great it's a great thing to look for in camp. Uh, a lot of talk about him lately. Like you said, when the pads come when the pads come on. What's he going to look like? I'm definitely going to be watching.
1: All right. We are coming down the home stretch. This is the final countdown. Dave, hit me <laughs> with your final observation that you are looking to see when the Bills open camp in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah. So we know how much this defensive line was talked about last year or the lack of their oomph, let's say, last year. It's been talked at nauseam. That star was out. Now he's back. Fine. Like, I'm not here to talk about star. I'm not here to talk about Ed Oliver either on the interior. I'm here to talk about what's going on behind those guys. We know that star is going to be there as the, the starting one tech. We know that. We know Ed Oliver is going to be there as the starting three tech. What's going on behind these guys? Is Harrison Phillips going to come back two years now removed from that injury and be the true backup one tech? to star because if you look around this roster as far as the the bodies you have is there any real true one tech that you can point out to that has a legitimate chance to maybe make some noise and make this team I don't see one I see Harrison Phillips as the guy that needs to take that you know take that mantle and be that guy because there was a point in time where I wasn't even sure if Harrison Phillips might might not make this team right this year now I'm kind of like okay he probably will but Harrison Phillips, is he going to be the backup one tech? Is Vernon Butler a lock to make the team now after being restructured? I know, you know, you and Greg talk about this a lot, the cap situation and the restructure. Like, you even mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing, like, you would be surprised if guys like Butler and, and Addison weren't on the team based on the fact that they got restructured and something like that has never really happened where a guy has taken a, you know, a restructure and then been cut later on. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but, like, it's not common. And then what does that mean for a guy like Justin Zimmer, who became kind of a cult favorite last year? We all know about the play he made against Cam Newton in that Patriots game and how that was such a big moment for him. And he flashed a little bit as a run defender, and we know how much the run defense was an issue last year. So we're looking at this, and we would start going back again to the fact that Sean McDermott tends to keep nine defensive linemen, if you want to talk about keeping 10 defensive linemen, fine. Most people are talking about that 10th guy being F.A. Obata or Daryl Johnson. But now we start talking about the interior. Which guy doesn't make it? Is it Justin Zimmer? Are you keeping Star, Ed, Harrison Phillips, and Vernon Butler because of the contract situation? Is Justin Zimmer the odd man out? Is Justin Zimmer? Does Justin Zimmer have a chance to beat out a guy like Harrison Phillips for a roster, roster spot if Vernon Butler becomes kind of the backup one tech so the interior defensive line depth is something i'm going to be really curious to see and like you said we're not going to necessarily know where they're lining up but maybe we can make some inferences based on sort of the reps they're going against uh like which offensive linemen they're going against but that interior d line behind star and ed is going to be something really uh, i'm going to pay close attention to
1: i will tell you that for me personally As I'm sitting down and starting to work on my first 53-man roster projection, every time I try and run through a scenario where they keep 10 defensive linemen, there's a couple things happening. Number one is something I've already talked about, which is Reg Gilliam. The other thing is I always look at Justin Zimmer's spot. I look at Daryl Johnson's spot, and I I have looked at Harrison Phillips for his spot before because – is there a yeah. chance that Harrison Phillips is better two years removed? Absolutely. But at no point has Harrison Phillips had an extended period of good play in his career. Right. This, this hasn't happened a single time at the very beginning of 2019. Uh, I think against the Bengals was probably his best game and he was, he was doing really well and then he got injured, but ha- there has never been an extended period of time where Harrison Phillips was a good player. It's the same scenario as Cody Ford, yep. there has never been, in my opinion, an extended period of time when Cody Ford was a good player. During his entire stint at right tackle, it was ups and downs and ups and downs. And I think overall was probably fairly below average at right tackle during his first year there. And then they moved him and he got hurt. So yep. for me, those are people where I think that if there was a better guard situation, I might look at Cody Ford the way I look at Harrison Phillips, but there's not. So for me, I'm looking at those players when I'm thinking about keeping ten defensive linemen. How am I going to do it? I look at Reggie Gilliam. I look at Daryl Johnson. I look at Justin Zimmer. I look at Harrison Phillips. Those are the places that I look. And there's one place that I don't look because I'll be shocked if he doesn't make the team. I'm just wondering where he's going to fit, and that's my final observation. And I'm going to cheat. Just so you know, because this, it's my show and I can do what I want. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> so for me, I am going to cheat and put two into one here. And it's two position battles that I think we're going to see that I have a particular interest in. It's A.J. Klein versus Tyrell Adams, and it's Dane Jackson versus Levi Wallace. So I think there's a very reasonable chance that due to familiarity, it ends up being A.J. Klein and Levi Wallace just as default. However, Tyrell Adams, in my opinion, is a better base linebacker than AJ Klein. I have never been an AJ Klein guy. When we initially signed him, you can find my initial uh, snap reaction podcast where I go, that feels like an overpayment to me. You can
0: find my same
1: air <laughs> <care> rate hour. <laughs> it was not. Um, I was like, okay, that's, um, uh, that feels rich for AJ Klein, given the fact that I thought when we were signing him, we were signing him to be a special teams only player. But again, this is where the whole special team comes into play. If you have Matt Akevich, do you need A.J. Klein for special teams? Can you go with Tyrell Adams at that point in base for three looks? And given how the Buffalo Bills played the Baltimore Ravens last year in the playoffs, you do kind of wonder if we're going to see a little bit more base defense. If you start using Matt Milano as more of that Shaq Thompson sort of linebacker and Tyrell Adams and Tremaine Edmonds become – your bases of your base. I'm not saying you take Matt Milano off the field for Tyrell Adams. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you have to go, you might feel like you can get away with going four three, a little bit more. If your third linebacker is Tyrell Adams versus your third linebacker being AJ Klein. So I think that that's fascinating. And I think who they decide to pick in that spot could tell us a little bit about where the defensive scheme could evolve this year with the quarterback position. Dane Jackson versus Levi Wallace is the, it's the Mountain Dew you know versus the Mountain Dew you don't. That's what it is. So Dane Jackson is not a markedly better athlete than Levi Wallace. I think he's proven to be a little bit better at the catch point, a little bit more aggressive than Levi Wallace, but he's not a markedly better athlete. So I don't think you can expect to see Dane Jackson come in and give you a marked athletic upgrade from Levi Wallace. If your issue is, Levi Wallace's athleticism, you're not going to get that fixed by going to Dane Jackson. However, one of the other things that Levi Wallace has been dogged a little bit for is his ability at the catch point, has his tendency to quote unquote, get a little bodied by bigger receivers at the catch point. And Dane Jackson, you know, obviously famously against the Cardinals, with DeAndre Hopkins, has competed really well at the catch point. I understand that the issue with Dane Jackson is small sample size, but it's small sample size for us it's not necessarily small sample size for the team because they get to see them a lot of times when we don't. So I'm fascinated to see whether or not Dane Jackson can beat out Levi Wallace, mostly because I think Sean McDermott loves Levi Wallace. He has often said that that's a player who kind of embodies what it means to be a Buffalo Bill. That's a strong statement in favor of Levi Wallace. So I'll be fascinated to see if Dane Jackson can come in, compete and end up in even a platoon situation which we know they like to do at CB2 on the outside. We know they like to do the platoon situation even if you got that, I would consider that to be a success for the second year seventh round pick out of pit. What do you think, Dave?
0: Yeah, I mean I'm with you. At this point, you know, I kind of compared it to like you've got the known the known of Levi Wallace of the 35 games started over the last 3 years. And you've got somewhat of the unknown of Dane Jackson, at least to us as fans. Like you said, athletically, there's not anything that's unknown. Like, there's a, there's a ceiling there. But there's a there's a little bit of, like, a, a twinkle in your eye, I guess, when you think about, like, oh, this guy could be better than what we have because we just don't know. And the fact of the matter is, is that Bean called Dane Jackson out by name in the offseason as a guy that they like, and I know – to your disappointment and mine a, a little bit, they did not go out and address CB early in the draft. So it, it, that to me is a, is another statement, not just in the favor of Dane Jackson, but in the favor of Levi Wallace as well, because whether or not you thought Dane Jackson was going to be kind of the guy that com- comes in and maybe takes the job, Levi Wallace is still there. He's still a guy that started 35 games for you. And you still didn't address that position early in the draft. So really, to me, it's a vote of confidence for both of those guys, regardless of who wins the battle. And it could be a platoon situation. We saw them do it with Norman and Wallace last year. And let's hope that Jackson can play a little bit better than Norman, although Norman somehow had a high PFF grade. Don't ask me how that happened. But regardless, um, you you know, fans, I think, like the, the idea of the unknown ceiling that you might have with Jackson, even though athletically there is certainly a ceiling.
1: Well, Dave. Thank you so much for being here, man. I I was really confident I was going to be able to get you out right before your other show started, and sure enough, 7.57, there I we get, get it, it, baby. I yeah. get it. Real yeah. quick, before you get out, tell everybody where they can find you, not only in three minutes if you're listening to this live, but also where they can find you periodically throughout the week.
0: Yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly. I'm on Twitter probably mostly uh, more than any other platform, at Tilt Money. Um, you can also find us on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. Steve and I do the show twice a week live, the Air Raid Hour. Um, I've been doing a little bit of different things lately as well. I've been putting out some, some graphics, some edits I've been making. I've kind of gotten back into that. So if you like that type of stuff, I've been I've been putting some of that out. Um, did a, I did a cool like uh, Avengers theme one last week, which I think a lot of people like. So doing a little bit of everything and just kind of try to keep it uh, very um, – I try to keep it very cordial with people as well on social media. So if you want to chat with me, feel free. I, I will not be the type to uh, to uh, you know, yell at you or anything like that. If there's something I don't disagree with you or if there's something I disagree with you on, we can have that conversation, um, but I'll be very uh, cordial with you. So if you're not into the negativity, I'm the guy you want to talk to.
1: <laughs> well, Dave, I appreciate you being here, man. Thanks so much. I had a good time. And for those of you who are out there listening and we're hoping – that we would go a little bit longer. I'm I'm so sorry. I I don't know what to tell you. You know, Dave's got his other things that he's got to do. You know, I can't suck up all of his time. And I'm really sorry, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.